Good morning, everyone. Welcome. So I won't do a show of hands because I was confronted with, uh, with the reality that during this format, people, people remember about 10% of what you say. I was confronted with that uh, <laughs> in first service a little bit. My question to them was, who in here remembers Paul's thesis statement from the book? And I asked some of you know, raise your hand, no hands, and that's okay. So I'll just jog your memory rather than asking, because you probably forgot, and that's okay. Hopefully you've noticed that I've, I've done almost, the intro to every sermon has started with, with this verse. And it's important that we keep it in front of us, because this is the purpose statement, is why Paul wrote the book he wrote. It's Romans 1, 16 and 17. Essentially, he says, this is the good news of what Jesus did for you and for me and for the whole world. He says, I'm not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It's the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. The good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. And this is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. And so Paul sets before us the purpose. He says, this is what I'm writing to you about. It's the power of God to be saved by faith in Christ alone. He gives us the purpose. And then in case anybody was wondering, he helps us understand that we need a savior that we need a savior, that we're all in need of saving. And that's Romans 1 through the first half of 3. He helps us all understand that whether we're handsome and good looking or ugly and wicked, Paul says, I don't care what you look like. I don't care what you think you've done or haven't done. Y'all in the same boat and it's sinking and you need a savior. And last week, Wes got the awesome privilege and opportunity to get to the good stuff. You need a savior, I need a savior, and last week we declared emphatically that Jesus Christ is that savior. He is that savior. We need a savior and Jesus is that savior. And last week, Wes did a great job of helping us understand some churchy words about what happens, what Jesus does when we express faith. And he unpacks some of those words. He says that when we express faith and receive salvation, the good life in Christ, Jesus promises to justify us. It's a legal term. It means you and I, we're criminals. If we've broken part of the law, we've broken all of it. We're criminals in the courtroom of God. And Jesus shows up and he says, not guilty, not guilty. You are right in the Father's sight. He justifies us. It's just as if we've never sinned in the sight of the Father because of Jesus. And he deals with the penalty of our sin, atonement. Atonement is a big fancy churchy word that we never say, but it's an important one for us to learn. It means that it, he appeases God. He, he appeases God's wrath. He takes our punishment, the punishment you and I deserve. He atones for it. He atones for it. And this last one is near and dear to my heart. Wes did a great job of, of really bringing it, not just to our head, but to our heart with the illustration. The reality is that you and I are slaves of sin. And we stand on that auction block, gonna be sold into slavery, separated from our family, from our spouses, from the world, from relationships, from God. We're gonna be sold into slavery to sin and Jesus shows up and he says, I will buy them. I will purchase them. They are free. He redeems us. He justifies, he atones, he redeems. And church, let me just say, this is the best news ever. It's the best news ever. It's why we call it the good news of the gospel. It's the greatest deal in the world. Now, I don't know about you, but I love a good deal. People who know me well know that I love a good deal. 
Recently, I just booked a, a vacation for Rachel and I's 10-year anniversary. Uh, we're going to Mexico in the end of May, and I got an amazing good deal. And getting the deal was great, but telling other people about the deal that I got is even better, right? Uh, Tyler Schwebert and I were talking. I was like, hey, check this out. And he's like, no way did you get that. So I sent him the receipt, and I said, look, this is what I paid. It's awesome, right? That's what we do with good deals. We tell people about it. This is the best deal in the whole history of deals ever. What the gospel says is you get to bring all your junk and garbage and worthless deeds and all your poor performance and failures, your garbage heap. You get to bring that to Jesus and he will take it as payment for forgiveness and freedom and joy and peace and rest and an assurance of salvation and the abundant life. And the list goes on, a whole mountain of inheritance. That is the good news of the gospel. It's the great exchange. You and I should be jacked about it. I'm jacked about it. We should be screaming it from the rooftops, not just on Sunday, every single day of the year. We should be. We should be. Why aren't we? Why aren't we? We are to some degree. I think Jesus promises, he promises what he's going to give us in salvation. Right? He tells us in John 10.10, 10, he says, the thief, the prince of the air, Satan, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come, why? I have come to give you life and life abundant. Abundant. That is what salvation is supposed to bring, an abundant life. And we hear this message often, Right? I think it's fair to say our culture is saturated with, the, with this message. There are 25 churches, Christian churches, just in the little sphere of Napoleon. We live in a, in a country, in a state, that has provided us not only the opportunity to gather regularly without threat of punishment, but they've, they've made a provision for us to take this incredible news to our school children during the school day. They say, hey, listen, if you want to teach people the gospel during the school day, we'll release them to you every week so they can hear this amazing news. We hear the good news of Jesus often. I realize there are folks, even in Henry County, who don't know about Jesus yet, and that's why we have to proclaim it. But compared to other places in the world, our culture is saturated with the gospel proclamation. And if that's true, if our culture is saturated with the proclamation of the gospel and Jesus says the results of hearing and believing the gospel is abundant life, then I have to scratch my head when I look at the church, inside the church and outside the church. I scratch my head and I say, why are we experiencing less than the abundant life? Why is there so much depression? Why is there so much anxiety? Why is there so much overwhelmingness with stress? What is going on here? What is prohibiting us from receiving the abundant life in salvation through Christ? I thought about that this week. And our text, I think, illuminates some of the problem. You see, if I were to ask some of you, and hopefully a large majority of you, what, what does it mean to be saved? Hopefully you would articulate this. We are saved by faith alone in Jesus Christ. It's a simple statement. It's easy to remember. How are you saved? By faith alone in Jesus. That's how we receive salvation. That's how we receive the good life. I think that many of us could articulate that. The problem is we've, we fail to live from that reality. 
We fail to live from that reality sometimes. And so this morning, what I want to do, I just want to spend the morning clearing up that statement. We're saved by faith alone in Jesus. And I want to do that by asking a question. If you're feeling super Baptist this morning, you're not going to have like the three points that all start with the same lever. We're kind of going to meander our way through the text this morning. So stay with me. But we're going to do that by setting up, setting up a question. Can we go to the next slide? Here's the question. It's a good uh, even uh, evangelistic question. If you're having a conversation, if you want to figure out where people are at in regards to the good news of the gospel, here it is. Assuming, the, assuming for this moment, that there really is a heaven, what do you think are the general requirements for admission? What gets you in, or who gets in and who doesn't? If you were to die today, why should God let you in? The answers that we give by our words, but not only by our words, by our emotions and our behaviors, reveals a lot of whether or not we are living from the abundant life and salvation that Jesus gives, or living from something less than. In our culture, I like to say we live in, in country, country music Christianity culture, right? This is where a lot of our ideas, presuppositions about the gospel are more informed by country music and pop culture than the scriptures. And that's a huge problem. In fact, in Matthew 22, we come across a group of people that are very similar to us. They're religious folks. They've grown up around the church. Maybe not always in the church, but in a culture that was shaped by Judeo-Christian values. Very much so. And they come and they want to trick Jesus. And do you know what Jesus tells them their problem is? He says, listen, you guys don't know the scriptures or the power of God. You are allowing tradition and culture to shape what you know about me. And you haven't encountered my power personally. You've kept me at arm's length. And I wonder, I wonder if for some of us that isn't our problem. Why aren't we receiving the abundant life of Jesus? Could it be that we don't know our scriptures? Could it be that we haven't personally encountered God's power? And so here's what I want to do. I want to use Romans 4 this morning to help us combat three popular false gospels that we so easily can fall into. By answering that question, what, what does God require for me to get into heaven, okay? We're going to answer that in three different answers, and it's going to reveal three different false gospels. Those false gospels are this. We can believe that salvation is by good works alone. It's terrible news. We can believe that salvation is by faith plus something else, usually our good works. Also, terrible news. And lastly, and this one is insidious and tricky and horrible news, we can believe that we are saved by faith in our faith alone. All right, so let's work through these three things using Romans 4 together, and you will discover that these are all horrible ways to live out of. They do not provide joy, peace, rest, or freedom. They steal all of those things from us, and so we're going to try and clear that up together. So let's walk through these three false gospels that are very popular, very easy to fall into, and see what Paul has to say about them. Firstly, the first, the first thing we can fall into, salvation by good works alone. If you ask that question, some folks, maybe even some of you, you may say, well, what's wrong with this? And that's okay. We'll hopefully to, to set you straight a little bit this morning, get you living in the, the joy and peace of Jesus. They may respond to that question, if I died today, how should, why should God let me in? They might say, well, God should let me in because I tried my best to be good. Or they might church it up a little bit. I tried my best to be a good, good Christian. I wasn't perfect. You know, they acknowledge that. Sure, I'm not perfect, but I tried my best. 
I tried my best. At the heart of this response is an understanding that salvation comes to us by the works that we do alone. This is terrible news. If we live based out of this assumption, we will live with either pride or anxiety and usually a horrible and exhausting combination of both of them, right? If this is true, if we're saved by our good works, the best we have at the end of our day is, did I do enough? Did I do enough? And some of you, some of you do a lot. Some of you have lives that look pretty good. You show up, you're well-dressed, your shirt's tucked in, right? You're, you're here regularly, you're, you're doing the things. And you feel pretty good about it. But if you're basing your salvation off of what you're doing, you probably won't allow yourself to go here because it's a very uncomfortable place to go. So you just shut it out of your mind. You're right, let's focus on the positive. Here's what I'm doing. Surely God is impressed. I'm not perfect, but look at that guy, right? I've got it together, right? So we talk this, we compare ourselves to others and you don't let yourself go here. But if at some point you stop swiping on the phone, you're alone, you have some quiet There's that nagging, gnawing anxiety in the back of your head. You're confronted, a friend passes away. You're confronted with that question. And I've done a lot, but is it enough? Is it enough? I don't know. No assurance. Anxiety, that's what you're left with. And that's the best. That's the best salvation by works has to offer you. It gets worse. You say, how could it be worse than that? It does, it gets worse. See, if you can string a, a series of good works together, you can, you can kind of just go through life not thinking about it and just thinking, yeah, okay, I'm, not, I'm better than the next guy, and you can be okay. You just won't let yourself go there. But what if you can't? What if, what if you go through life and you just fail? Like you've seen those fail videos? Like, you're the guy who's face-planting in those videos. Like, you just go through life and you're just failing hard, consistently. Your marriage is blown up. Your kids, your family is a disaster. You may face addiction. You, you went to prison. I mean, you're just failing in life. What are you left with at the end of the day if you can't look at your life and see any amount of decent work in it? The overwhelming majority is failure. Crippling depression. Why bother? Even if I tried to be good at this point... <laughs> The scales are already so tipped the one way and nothing's going to outweigh it. Do you see how this is horrible news? It's horrible. It is horrible news. Praise be to Jesus. This is not the gospel that he offers us. This is not what he offers us, church. You are saved by faith, not what you can do. By faith alone in Jesus. Look at Romans 4, 1 through 3. Paul says, What shall we say about Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? What did he discover in this matter? He's asking the question, what, is Abra- what can Abraham tell us about our salvation? About how to receive the abundant life? If in fact Abraham was justified by works, if he was saved by his good works, if he had something to boast about, but not before God. Next week we're going to look more in depth at the life of Abraham and you will see how laughable it would be for Abraham to show up before God and say, look at all the good stuff I did. Of course you should save me. He did a lot of horrible things and yet the Lord set his favor upon him. 
So here's what you need to know. We're not going to go through the life of Abraham. Come back next week and you will be encouraged by the example of faith that God sets before you. It's poor. And that should encourage all of us, right? But what do you need to know for this morning? Well, what does the scripture say? Paul says, what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Paul says the good news of salvation It isn't that salvation or the good life, the joy, the peace, the rest, the freedom, it is not earned by what you can do. It's not earned by works. God has always provided salvation, the good life, to those who have faith. It's by faith. And that's the first word in our big idea. The second one is equally as important. We are saved by faith alone in Jesus Christ. You see, there's a group of people that would say, if I die today, why should God let me in? Well, I hope I've done enough to be a good Christian, right? Let's church it up. And there are other people that say, yeah, that's not it, right? They'll say, belief matters. I know enough of the scriptures to know that, that faith matters. We have to believe in Jesus. And so they might answer that question, why should God let you in? And it reveals another false gospel. Well, God should let me into heaven. He should let me in because I believe him and I try really hard to do his will. They should have just stopped. They can't. Why should God let you in? Well, because I believe. Awesome. And I try really hard to be good. Ooh, we missed it. We missed it. This church is what we call faith plus salvation. And this group of people believes that Jesus did everything to wipe their slate clean. And then, boy, they better do their work to keep it clean or else. And this is the belief that salvation is a wage to be paid as opposed to a gift that is going to be received. And this too is terrible news. This is horrible news. If you live with a salvation by faith plus what you can do, it leads either to entitlement and judgmentalness and makes you like a really grumpy, entitled person to be around or it makes you an anxious, depressed person and usually some horrible combination of all of the above, okay? Now, you might be thinking, well, of course I don't believe, I don't believe in a faith plus salvation. It's by, it's by faith alone in Christ. Let me give you a hypothetical. I'll give you a hypothetical this morning, and we'll equate this to how this works in marriage, and then we're gonna, we're gonna connect it to the gospel and how it, how it works in our relationship with God, okay? So the other day, I know a guy, and uh, he strung some really great works together. He knows Jesus. He loves Jesus. He's pumped about, about being, being a Christian, about telling others about him, about, about serving God, serving in his church, serving in the community, serving his family, leading his wife and children. He, he knows all the Sunday school answers, and he's pumped about it. The other day, he just, he, the other day, a couple of weeks in a row, he strung, he strung a really good week together, a really good month. He hadn't he has been really patient with his kids, been really patient with his wife. He's, he's kind of serving, like crushing it in his house, not just at his church, but he's like crushing it at home. He did the dishes without his wife even asking him multiple times during the week. He did the laundry and folded it a couple times in the past month without being asked, right? He's crushing it, leading his family, serving God, serving his family, doing a phenomenal job. If you ask him, he'd never admit it, but he would, in, in his journal, uh, hey God, uh, are you noticing, right? 
So he, he's crushing at home, feeling pretty good about, about what he's doing. And one evening, every, he puts all of the kids to bed. He does it all, the, everything, brushing teeth, everything. Puts them to bed, gets them to bed, finishes cleaning the house, and he collapses into bed and with a smile on his face. Man, he's just thinking about all the good deeds he did for the day. As he falls into bed, the thought crosses his mind, my wife must be so impressed, right? That's what he thinks. Man, after all the hard work I've been doing, I'll bet tonight, I'll bet she rewards me with, with golf, right? More golf. What are you guys thinking about? I'll bet she rewards me for, for how awesome I am. For all the good Christian service I've been putting in around the house. I'll bet she's impressed. I think God's probably impressed. I'd never admit this, but I'm not that surprised that Jesus died for me. I mean, come on. Got it together, right? Again, completely hypothetical. The lights go out. His wife falls asleep. But not him. Now he's fuming. Now he's running through his head. All the good thing he's done and what's wrong with everyone for not noticing, including his wife and the Lord. Nobody serves the way he serves. Nobody is more deserving of affection from his wife, from others, of approval. No one is more deserving of Christ's sacrifice. That's pretty ugly, isn't it, church? It's pretty ugly. This is us when we start behaving, if we believe that we are saved via faith plus our good works and obedience in Christ, we start to develop an entitlement attitude where we start to think that we deserve something from God, from others. We start to come to God and we start to get judgmental. We point at all the other people and how they're not doing it, they're not killing it like we are. And why aren't you paying me the way the wage that I deserve. What's wrong with you? Are you seeing this? This isn't easy. This is hard work for me to serve this way. Are you noticing? It happens in marriage all of the time. I find in my own marriage, in other marriages, that a lot of times both spouses begin to feel underappreciated, right? And then it's like, well, you're not going to appreciate me, then I'm not going to appreciate you. And it's just this back and forth because we get to feel entitled. You owe me. Have you noticed what I've been doing? You owe me. And we do this with God. Anytime in your relationship, in your heart, you say, God, how could you? How could you let this happen? How could you allow this to happen? How could you? We're operating out of a faith plus mentality because we're starting to treat God as if his grace is a wage that he owes us for what we're doing. It's insidious and it is a horrible way to live. If you're able to string some good works that you can feel proud of together, you begin to be entitled. You begin to be judgmental. You begin to become insanely grumpy because no one appreciates you for all the stuff you do. Grumble, grumble, grumble. You become a horrible person to be around or, again, if you, if you fail a lot and you struggle to string some good stuff together, then you just develop this Eeyore mentality. Doom and gloom. Well, God's never going to love me. 
Because I just am a failure and I just can't do anything. I know Jesus died for me, but sure doesn't feel like that was enough because look at my life and I can't do anything, right? Doom and gloom, no hope, no joy, no rest. That's the best it has to offer. Entitlement, judgmental, Eeyore, or some horrible combination of both. Praise be to Jesus, this is not the gospel. This is not the good news that Christ offers to us. If salvation is faith plus anything, this is the best it has to offer, but it ain't the gospel. Romans 4, 4 through 5 tells us what the gospel is. He says, now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. Right? If you treat salvation as a wage to be paid, you think God is obliged to pay you and you're going to be grumpy because you're going to receive some things in life from the Lord to develop your character. He says he makes us weak and in our weakness, we are strong. He is going to give us things that make us weak. And if we treat salvation as a wage to be paid, some of us are going to get pretty cranky about that wage. It's not a wage. It's a gift. However, to the one who does not work, but who trusts God. Do you trust God? Do you trust that he's sovereign, that he's over everything? If he gives you, you know, a mental illness, if he allows you to experience mental illness, if he allows you to experience trouble in your family, the loss of a spouse, a heartache, a hardship, do you trust your father to be good, to make you right, to justify the ungodly and credit you with righteousness and rest and peace and joy, even in the midst of suffering? That's the good news of the gospel. He says, I have a gift for you, even in your suffering. I know it might not always be the wage you're expecting, but I have what you need through Jesus. Jesus is what you and I need always. It does not matter what you go through in this life. You have what you need because of Christ. It's a gift we can receive or not through faith. Salvation isn't by good works. It's by faith, not faith plus, by faith alone in Jesus. Here's the last false gospel that we can fall into believing. Why should God let us in? Well, God should let me in because I believe in God with all my heart. You say, Levi, what's wrong with that? Isn't that what you're talking about? Not exactly. It's not. You see here, here we're saying that we are saved by faith alone in my faith. In the amount of feeling, the amount of belief, the amount of faith I can muster. And I don't know about you, but a lot of days, I'm not feeling a whole lot of faith. I'm not feeling a whole lot of joy. I'm not feeling a whole lot of peace. I, you know, I don't personally struggle with depression, but I know people that do and with anxiety. And we can't always control our emotions. And if we come to this and say, how, how should God let me in? Well, he should, he should let me in because I have faith and I believe with all my heart. What we're saying is that God should let me in based on the amount of emotions and faithfulness I can conjure up. And that, friends, is bad news. It's bad news because our emotions are all over the place and our faithfulness stinks. It stinks. Paul points us to the illustration, the example of David, and tells us that this is not the gospel. 
you are not saved by the amount of faith that you can muster, right? People are wringing their hands. Man, I just know if I had more faith, God wouldn't have allowed this experience to happen. If I could, if I could just believe harder, then I'd receive the healing that, that I know God wants me to have. If I just had more, if I believed harder, then, then my kids wouldn't be wayward. The problem is with my faith. If I could just muster more, then God would help me, but I can't, and so here I am. See, that's bad news, because we can't. There's not an easy button. We just flip it and say, okay, well, I have more faith. Oh, it's hard. It's hard to believe, and Paul gives us the illustration, the example of David. David says the same thing, verse 6, Romans 4. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. David understands the gospel, is what Paul says. Here it is. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. You might be thinking, Levi, what does that have to do with our faith? If you don't know the story of David, you won't see the connection. But if you know the story of David, you will. You will. See, if you know the story of David, David could not say, blessed blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered because of the amount of faith that I was able to conjure up in my life. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against him because God's really impressed with the amount of faith that I had. (laughs) He could never say that. Do you know why I know that? Because his life tells us. David, even though God said he was a man after his own heart, which encourages me, was a faithless man. He was faithless to his wife. On multiple occasions, he had multiple wives. God said, don't do that. He did it. He was faithful to his wife. He committed adultery with Bathsheba. You can read about that story. He killed her husband. He was faithless to his responsibilities as a king. He didn't take care of his subject. He had them murdered. He was faithful as a dad. Because he had multiple wives, his family was a mess. He had kids from everybody and, and you know, everybody mixed family, really difficult. One of the brothers raped his half-sister and David did nothing. He did nothing. He allowed rape to go on in his family and you can imagine how well that went. His kids started killing one another. David was faithless as a husband. He was faithless as a king. He was faithless as a father and ultimately he was faithless to God. And yet, King David says, blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered, Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. Church, how in the world would he be able to make that statement, to live in that rest and that assurance, unless you and I and he too were saved by faith alone in Jesus Christ? You see, the issue is not the amount of your faith. It is the object of your faith. We need to not look inward at how much faith we can muster. I understand faith is important. Jesus said, or James tells us, ask and do not doubt. I get that. But in that, what matters to God for our salvation is not the amount of faith we can muster. It's where we focus our faith. The object, Jesus, he is the one who saves us. This is the good news, church. You and I are not saved by what we can do. 
If you struggle with feelings of being overwhelmed, chances are you're struggling with a gospel issue, believing that it's all up to you to make it happen, to get her done, and to please the Lord. I invite you to receive the good news of the gospel this morning. It's not. You can't. Jesus did. Believe it. Believe it. If you struggle in feeling underappreciated in your life, whether it's your marriage or your, your community, if you feel entitled, or if you feel like an Eeyore most days, chances are it's a gospel issue. There could be other stuff going on too, but you get what I'm saying. Jesus did it. It's done. You can't add anything to it or take anything away from it. He doesn't owe you, but he's got a gift that you can receive if you'll come to him and receive it. There's rest for you to have and appreciation. And lastly, if you struggle wringing your hands thinking, man, if I could just have more faith then God would take this or do this, please hear me when I say it is not the amount of faith that is the issue. It is the object of your faith. We are saved by faith alone in Jesus and that, friends, is the best news ever. There is rest, there is peace, there is joy, even in suffering for you to experience through this incredibly good news. Let's pray. Father, I just want to come before you and confess corporately as a church that we, we struggle to believe the gospel. Sure, we can articulate it, but man, from a day-to-day, from a day-to-day basis, Sometimes we fall into believing that it all depends upon us and that it's all about what we can work to do. And so we're, we're up and down based upon our performance. Sometimes we think that we can add to what you've done or, or, or take away from what you've done on the cross. And we struggle to feel appreciated. We struggle with entitlement and judge, judge, judgmentalness, Lord. We just want to repent of those things. Father, others of us, we fall into the trap of believing if we just had more faith, then we could convince you to do something different in our lives. If we could just get rid of our emotions, of our anxiety, of our depression, of our whatever, if we could just fix how we feel, then maybe you'd be pleased with us. Lord Jesus, we want to repent of those things because honestly, those things are stealing from us your joy, your rest, your satisfaction, your salvation in our everyday life. So would you help us today not beat ourselves up more? (laughs) That is certainly not the heart of the message today. Would you help us receive your gift? That if we would come to you in whatever amount of meager faith we can muster and throw ourselves upon you, would you convince us that's all you need? And not only is that all you need, that's all you want from us. (laughs) You just want us to say help. I can't. You can. Go to work in my life. Help me be strong when I feel weak. Prop me up in the suffering. Give me hope when I shouldn't have any more. Help me persevere to the end. And ultimately, come quickly. We pray this, Lord Jesus, for your glory and our joy. Amen.